Welcome, everyone, to the Change Structure Podcast. I'm your host, Dustin Odom. And on this week's episode, we welcome Dr. John Push Gaines. Uh, the PUSH stands for, I think, a number of things, as we you'll hear in the interview. But the one that I really took away that hit me um, was PUSH, persevere until something happens. Dr. Gaines is someone who... Um, models nothing but perseverance. He's someone that uh, has just had a unique upbringing. I, I just want to read real quickly uh, one of the one of the bios that I found on them just to give you an idea of who this man is. Dr. John Push Games is a former at-risk kid turned mentorship advocate. His message is all about pushing through adversity and defying his odds. John's childhood was one of extreme adversity, growing up surrounded by drugs and violence, facing personal struggles and being bullied for his differences. He had every reason to give up, but he pushed through. Now as a professional speaker and author, John strives to help and teach people how to overcome and to rise. He is driven to give hope to others because of his own story grew from hopelessness. He earned his name, his nickname Push, because he believes in the power of perseverance and teaches others to keep pushing through life's obstacles to become the best version of themselves. He has devoted he has devoted himself to the world community. He has proudly appeared as a guest speaker at universities, corporations, nonprofit events, MBA skills camp, which I find fascinating, school assemblies and youth camps across the country. As a graduate of East Central University, where he was named outstanding student in business and won a football championship as a captain of the football team, he's the picture of success. With a master's degree in business leadership and a doctorate in business administration, he demonstrates great dedication and personal achievement. He is driven to give hope to others because his own story grew from hopelessness. So I don't know if you're like me, but when you see a bio like that, you're like, oh, that's inspiring. But, you know, how is this person? How am I going to relate to this person if I don't have the same background as him? And the first thing I would tell you is John is incredibly humble. One of the, the uh, I don't want to ruin the whole interview, but his his honesty about his own personal and mental struggles that he has even to this day was refreshing. He's someone that just because of the way he carries himself and the humility he operates out of, you just want to listen to and get to know better. And so this interview is no exception to that. So uh, I, it's one of those interviews where um, I want to give you the, the three takeaways that I already wrote down as I'm in the middle of the interview taking notes, but uh, I just, I think you'll enjoy hearing it better from John than from me. So uh, as always, thank you so much for your um, listening to us. We appreciate it so much. If you haven't hit subscribe before, please subscribe. We need all the support we can get. If you think someone, as you listen to this podcast, if someone comes to your heart that just needs to hear this message, please share it with them. And I feel like that's one of the ways that I've always um, felt loved by my friends when they hear a podcast or an article and they send it to me. That's the only thing to me of improvement. So um, thank you. Appreciate you uh, enjoying and enjoy this conversation with Dr. John Push Gaines. It's a great one. Dr. Gaines, thanks for joining us. I appreciate it. Of course. Good to be here, man. I'm, I'm grateful to join with uh, great minds and, and, and also learn from, from great people as well <laughs> as I share. Well, that's great, man. So uh, first question we ask everybody is the same. So the question is, who are you and what do you love about what you do? Who am I? Um, you know, I, people often ask me this question and I lead with I'm a husband and I am a father. And ultimately, as a young kid, 
that was the ultimate dream because I didn't grow up with uh, a present father. I never really saw like a, a successful marriage. And so for me as a kid, <laughs> it was like, I want to be a great husband and I want to be a great father. So that's who I am. And that drives everything else I do. That's my why. And so for me, as I speak and travel and share with educators, um, organizations and students, I'm always thinking about my family. How am I elevating my family? How am I representing my family? How am I leaving a legacy for my family? So who I am drives what I do. And I, I'm a husband, I'm a father, and then everything else is, is secondary. That's awesome, man. Well, uh, as I've investigated who you are and what you're about, uh, integrity is the big deal. It comes across in everything you do. So that doesn't surprise me with that answer. But one thing I am curious about is you've earned the nickname push. So Dr. John push gains, right? And I'm curious, can you tell us a little bit about your life story up to this point and how you earned that nickname? Of course, I was thinking about this podcast this morning, and I like to uh, just be organic and just talk about seasons. And right now, the season that I'm in, it is a season of perseverance. And so as I think about the nickname Push and what it means to me in this season, we literally wear these shirts and these hoodies uh, and we have push bands on, you know, that say Push. And with the shirts that we wear underneath, it, it has, you know, it has Push and then it has What's Your Push? Because we like uh, young people or educators and just anyone in general who supports us to identify their own push because we know that everyone has a different push. And so for some folks, it might be push until something happens. For some, it might be practice until something happens. For some, it might be patience until something happens. But right now I am in a season of perseverance uh, until something happens. And mm -hmm. I believe that that is the core and the foundation of push because uh, I, I believe perseverance is developed through pain, like right in the midst of pain, we have uh, opportunities to either keep going or quit. And that's just, you know, fact. When people are hit with pain, sometimes they don't know how to respond or they don't have the right support circle and they quit in the midst of the obstacle. And I remember reading a book that the obstacle is the way and really that's my life. I was born on the hilltop. I won't talk, and the hilltop is in, you know, Tacoma, Washington, and in the early 1990s, the Hilltop had some of the highest working crime rates in America. I won't, I can go on and on about the Hilltop and, and what it was and, and what it wasn't. But now there's a documentary on Amazon Prime. So any of your listeners, as I talk about the Hilltop and share some of my life stories, what I want you to do is in your free time to check, to fact check the things and the stories that I share go to Amazon Prime because there's literally a documentary right now. It's titled Since I've Been Down. And this documentary highlights, I don't like to use the term highlight. Um, it documents the Hilltop Crips. The, Hill, the Hilltop was notorious for the Hilltop Crips in the early 1990s. Since I've Been Down is the name of that documentary. So there's a three strike rule. The three strike rule is if you are convicted with three felonies, you go to life for prison. I had no idea that the three strike rule was first implemented in Washington state with the hilltop in mind. That's how bad it was. The opening scene of that documentary, there's a car that was shot up 
about 20 different times. A young man, 18 year old, lost his life. That car in that video, my cousin was the driver. Mistaken identity, my cousin was shot six times. And that is a preview to, that's how close we were to the trauma and to the chaos. Uh, the hilltop was swept with uh, crack cocaine. So for me, a lot of families had similar traumas. And so as I got older and moved out of that environment, I realized that that wasn't normal. And I share now, um, and I understand the impact that it had on my life. But as a kid, that was my normal because every other kid and all my friends had similar situations. Maybe their father wasn't in the home. And if both their parents were in the home, more than likely one or both of them were doing some type of criminal activity. And it just was the norm in the early 90s. My mother, who loved me dear, dearly, uh, used crack cocaine. And, and uh, obviously that caused a lot of trauma uh, for us as kids. My sister and I, um, when I was seven years old, my mother passed away from her drug usage. And I was the one that found her dead. And I use that story when I'm keynoting and when I'm sharing and I, and it was, it was a time in my life where I felt like I lost all hope, where I felt abandoned, where I felt like giving up. Uh, but as I think about push and what that means to me, it was a time in my life where I felt like an extreme amount of pain, right? Pain overtook who I thought I wanted to be. I was born with drugs in my system. And so I've, I already had things that I had to navigate. Uh, educators used to think I was a mute. I had a speech impediment, learning disabilities, anger issues because of the drugs that I was born with in my system. Uh, mm -hmm. But something changed. The reason why I'm so excited about this podcast, because I know your main audience is educators. There's an educator that I had when I was seven years old, who I'm still extremely close with, that changed my whole life. Uh, I wrote a book, two books, actually, <laughs> about her, one for children and then one for educators. Uh, a week after my mother passed away, I went to class and I was sitting in this class and uh, my my teacher at the time, her name was Miss Crowley. Now her name is Miss Coker. She kind of pulled me to the side and said, we're going to I have a dream assignment. And after we went back and forth, she got me to share a couple of my dreams. One of those was to be a football player in college. And then the other was to be a doctor like Dr. King and change and inspire the road. That was the most important dream because she had uh, images of, you know, black and brown folks up around the classroom. She had images of just great historians. She had images of great scientists like the Albert Einstein's and the Dr. King's and the Rosa Parks, right? And I remember looking up on the wall and I saw a man that kind of looked like me that was doing something great with a quote. And I said, I want to be like him. I want to be a doctor like Dr. King. I want to change and inspire the world because I'm hurting. I know others are hurting. And I understood it even at seven years old that if I could just help one person, my life will feel a little bit better. And when I shared these dreams with her, she said, I believe in you. And it changed my life. Like her belief in me changed my life, but something more significant happened. I go back to that moment because that was the first time that I believed in myself. Mm. Now that I think about it, even now was the first time that I thought like persevere, like I'm not going to quit despite what's going on in front of me. I'm going to keep going. I'm going to keep pushing. Push wasn't a thing, but it was like the first time in my life I embraced the message that I share across the country now. And uh, something I live by 
be remiss if I didn't share with y'all. I believe every young person is one I believe in you away from achieving their dream. And for me, it started with that belief in me. And there are other mentors. I talk a lot about mentorship and there are other adults, caring adults that cared for me that work either for organizations that partner with the school or folks inside of the schools that I attended. That's crazy. I, I feel like, I mean, you just went back to when you were seven, obviously there was a traumatic event in your life that changed everything, which I would not wish on anybody. And, but you still remember the one person who said, I believe in you. And that was the rocket fuel you needed. And I'm sure there's plenty of ups and downs from then on, but like that was the catalyst. And you said, I think, I don't think I'm misquoting, but you still draw on that today. So like when you hit one of those rough patches or seasons of doubt or whatever we all go through as adults and individuals, do you go back to that time or do you use future times that you've overcome obstacles? Yeah, that was really the foundation. Um, I go back to the moment I felt that it was okay to believe in myself because it wasn't something that I said to her, right? She, she, she said, I believe in you, John. And I didn't say, well, I believe in me. But I remember thinking, okay, I believe in myself. Like things won't get better because she won't be with me 24-7. And so now what what I realize, uh, and I hope this makes sense, like the most important story that I hear is the one inside of my own mind. And yeah, so now when I go when I go through like rough times or rough patches, like I know that I can say something in my head that is going to get me to that next step, right? Yep. And that's true, negative or positive, right? So I know when things are going wrong in my life, I'm like, more than likely, I'm not going to, like, I don't go to my wife, like, hey, we need to talk. I don't call my brother, who's my best friend, one of my mentors, hey, bro, like, we need to talk. I go to the mirror. And I say, hey, we need to talk. Like, what's going on in this season in your life? Yeah, you're you're my type of guy. That's one thing I talk to. I have three young boys, and we talk about all the time of, uh, you know, they're eight, six, and two. So the two-year-old is not getting this lecture yet. The six-year-old probably doesn't understand it yet. The eight-year-old is probably over it by now. Um, <laughs> but like every time we try to blame something else, it's like get in that mirror and we walk to a mirror and look at it. Cause I feel like that is the only thing that we can do is change ourselves. Right. And yep. we have to address that. One of the questions I have is that, you know, I, I've seen a few of your videos, which are, again, I love how authentic you are and real, which is really refreshing, which is probably why you're successful in what you do. Yep. Um, were there moments after seven? I know the answer, I think, to this, but I'm curious. You know, after you had the person say, I believe in you, did you have moments where you wanted to give up and you thought you were going to give up at some point, uh, tracking towards this dream of being a doctor and inspiring others? Yeah. And I think, as you talk about being real and authentic, I think oftentimes people, like when I show up, they, you know, I'm the motivational speaker. And I think they get, uh, folks get surprised when I tell them I still have seasons where I feel like I want to give up. I still have seasons where it feels extremely hard. And I think it's important. That's such an important message for educators to hear who give so much of themselves. And if, especially if they don't have a system where they're filling their cup. And so then I talk about systems, right? Our, our success is tied to systems. So yes. what kind of systems do you have when you hit those times? And so if I'm just being completely transparent, let's think. Uh, so these last eight weeks, about eight weeks ago, maybe about nine weeks ago, I prepared a couple years for this TED talk. And, uh, I ended up, you know, flying. So I was in San Antonio. I talked to one of my brothers who I love dearly, who would always call me when I, on the road and just check in. Yep. I said, hey, bro, I'll talk to you when I get home. I'm on this, you know, trip and I'm flying, you know, for a TED talk. Flew to Cleveland, 
flew my family out because because I really wanted them to be there prepared two years. We all ended up getting like a slight cough, tested uh, positive for COVID, missed the TED talk. Um, that following Monday, had another presentation I was supposed to fly to, um, had to cancel it. The next day, I was able to turn another presentation that I had to a virtual one from the hotel room as we as we were in quarantine because we were put on the no flies no fly list. So we're in yep. quarantine 13 days in this hotel room, me, my wife, my two little kids, and I'm like presenting to folks. Uh, fly um, The day before we fly home, I get a call and it's from one of my brothers and he says, your brother, our brother passed away. One of my other brothers, the one that called me when I was in San Antonio, extremely difficult. Mm-hmm. So I start planning the memorial. I still had trips, family flew home. I flew to a couple different trips, but I'm yeah. planning this memorial from the road. Uh, we ended up landing on a day that we wanted to do the memorial and it was more so around my schedule because this was a uh, June. So June 23rd, I had to be in Kentucky. June 24th was the memorial. And then June 25th, I had to be in California for a presentation. My flight from Kentucky was canceled and there are no other flights. So I missed my brother's memorial, the whole memorial I planned, flew to California, uh, then flew home for this big event that we did at our uh, arena here and then flew out a couple more times back home Wednesday. <laughs> and so now we're like, this is like, you know, like 10 days ago. Yeah. And then we finally say, Hey, let's get some self-care. Let's go to Lake Chelan. But then we test positive again for COVID. Um, and in between that, I went to Kentucky one more time <laughs> and spoke. So I share all that to say like life happens But life is more so about understanding that the difficulties will happen. And I think what happened when like the traumatic stuff happened when I was young, because I learned that it was okay to persevere. I knew that difficult things will happen in my life, but like I built this foundation, like these foundational moments are so real. And the one thing we all have in common, something I say to, especially my children audiences, I say, raise your hand if you ever experienced some pain. Cause you can ask other questions, but all the, every time, every hand goes up, raise your hand. If you ever had a hard day, cause yep. it's the one thing we all have in common. Right. Yep. And because I didn't quit in the midst of some of those hard days, because I had people that believe in me, because I learned to believe in myself. That's why I'm able to go through this season and be true and transparent and say, yes, it's difficult, but I know there's purpose on the other side. I know from this pain is going to come purpose. And I know that my story is going to be, uh, inspiring for others. I even know that my story in this season is inspiring um, to me. So to answer, I, I think I answered your question. Yeah. But yeah. Difficulties still happen, and I'm in the and I'm in a season of difficult moments right now. But I'm deciding not to quit. I'm deciding to still live out my call, going back to my mission to be a great husband, to be a great father, and really do the things that I'm called to do. Well, when you go through that pain or when you talk to educators, I know you travel the country helping support educators who may be experiencing their own pain. You talked about systems. What kind of systems you encourage people to try to build for themselves to be able to endure and ultimately thrive through the pain or push into your point, push through the pain? Yeah. Uh, what? So something I, I, I often talk about having this growth plan and I I didn't get online with the like intention to sell anything. I, I don't do that. I don't even sell merchandise or books when I go to conferences um, <laughs> because I just want, I want to be authentic. I want to share, but 
I wrote this journal that I'm publishing next month. And uh, this was something that I, I developed in the midst of a difficult season back in 2017. And now I'm deciding to share it with the world. And this is really my growth plan, but it's, it's titled 30 Days on Purpose, Start Every Day with a Great Thought. If you look me up or anything about me, I often say start every day with a great thought because I was trying to go back to like, what can educators do? What can people in general do when they face difficult times? And like you said, you share with your sons, like this idea of going to the mirror is the same thing I do with my daughter um, every morning. We literally go to the mirror and we do this thing called affirmations because I'm yeah. trying to get her to start her days with the great thoughts. Uh, because what happens is like in this journal, right? I'm, I'm getting folks. So I share some type of quote and then I give them time to reflect on what they're grateful for. I give them time to write down, uh, you know, a few goals and things they want to accomplish for the day and then giving them time to just sit and be with themselves for 10 minutes or so before the day starts. And so it's, it's an encouraging journal, but really the system is despite what happens um, during the day, like build the foundation in the morning, choose to be optimistic and positive in your mornings. And so for me, that's what I do. And that's what I share with educators as well, as well, because here's what happens when you start your days with great thoughts, those great thoughts uh, lead to words and those words become actions, those actions become habits and those habits at the end of that school year, you're going to say, okay, I didn't just get here by accident. It literally started at the end of August or early September with a great thought. And so for me, as I'm going through this difficult season, people ask me, like, how are you getting through this? It's so important for me to, to wake up and listen to some type of positive message, uh, you know, just be in my quiet space. It's so important for me to read a little bit, write my daily, write my goals. And that's me really shaping how my day is going to go. When I miss, <laughs> when I miss that, when I miss that on those, on, on some days, those are some of my most difficult days where I feel like I'm always playing catch up. One of the questions I had for you is just because I was a former high school teacher. And when I saw your story, I taught in inner city St. Louis. And when I saw your story, I, I thought pretty quickly of a few of my students who I'm still friends with to this day, because they inspire me more than I think I ever inspired them. Yeah. Um, the, the challenge that I notice for, for people like yourself who were just strong, persevered through anything, uh, going from high school to college was a, was a struggle. And one of the things that my wife and I talk about often is how do we build stronger supports in the high school space to help support kids as they go to and through college or to and through whatever their aspirations are? How is your transition from your high school to college? I know you played sports that may have played a role in it. And what do you think schools could do better to have set you up for even more success to go into college? Yeah. How transparent can I be? Um, <laughs> you can be as transparent as you want. I wouldn't want to throw anybody under the bus in this, but uh, yeah, that, yeah. That was one of the most difficult times in my life. As I think about like <laughs> seasons in, in life, the transition from high school to college. And I went, I went to a private high school, um, incredible high school. I'm, you know, I'm on their board now. So I love the high school. I want to serve and give back to this high school. Yeah. Uh, but no one knew the real me. So I was like this athlete that, you know, I was graduating with nine varsity letters. I was captain of the football team, basketball team, uh, ba uh, basketball team, had full academic scholarship uh, to college. 
And so I was in the world's eyes, I was extremely successful, but I didn't learn the power of my story. Um, I didn't learn that like I would get healing from sharing my story. I didn't learn that it was okay to talk to folks. And so I thought, well, I, I will use this anger that I'm feeling on the inside to fight for my success. Like I don't have to share with anyone. I'm just going to be quiet, mind my own business. Yep. And eventually what happens is if you don't release the pressure, similar to like a, if you're opening up this, you know, bottle of Sprite that you shake up, eventually the pressure becomes too much. And so I battled severe, that transition, I battled severe depression, uh, like suicidal ideation. It was extremely, extremely difficult for me. And as I look back and when I share with, uh, especially high schools that are working with students from the inner city, that if they're like, if we think about ACEs, for example, right? I was, um, if you think about that ACE quiz, I scored a 10 out of 10 on that ACE. Jeez. So I share my story, but there's so many pieces of the story. Like we don't have enough time in the day to share but I could share stories as to why I received a point for each of those questions on that ACE score. And each of those points would take, you know, an hour just to kind of get through. Right. And so that, that was who I was. Um, Well, let me rephrase that. That wasn't who I was. I didn't realize the pain had a purpose like in my life. Right. And, and what I, what I, what I go back to is now what I share with schools I'm working with, I do, I do like long-term work with school districts, and I really help them build relationships with community-based organizations. Because I think oftentimes high schools and middle school, they feel like they have to do it by themselves and they just have to have all the, but oftentimes they're in these great communities with great organizations that are willing to help and a lot of times have funds to help and funds to support. And so I, going back, I think some of the like interactions I had with community-based organizations as I was in high schools were some of the most impactful um, times that, you know, that I experienced and they did help in a way. And I just wish I had them more consistently. And so what I, what I do with high schools, I, I just get them to connect to community-based organizations. Don't try to figure it out yourself. There's experts in your community that want to help you. There's experts in your community that have great relationships with these families that you're serving. And so that's really, that's really my solution uh, one of my solutions, and one thing I encourage high schools to do that are serving this certain demographic of students to go to the community because as cliche as it sounds, it really takes a village. Yeah, well, I love that advice because, you know, that would have been my weakness as an educator when I was teaching in, in the high school building. I'm like, I was very much like kind of look in the mirror. These are my four walls. How do I do it? I'm not relying on anybody else. And it was because I didn't want to reach out to anybody else. I just didn't want to burden anybody else. So I thought it was my call to solve. And just like you said, there are people who want to be in the fight with us. And so if I'm a, if I'd go back to my time at the district or a school, it's thinking, all right, what are my biggest challenges that I'm experiencing for my adults or kids? And what organizations around us also care about those solutions or trying to go after those problems? And let's partner and figure it out together, yeah. right? That's powerful. I appreciate that. You, you keep, it's refreshing to hear you keep uh, talking about the word pain, right? I feel like our society right now uh, has grown into wanting to take away pain from everybody and everything. And there's, there's a good heart to it. I'm not, I'm not prescribing judgment on anybody who does that, 
but you know, as a young parent myself, like it's tough to figure out, like, how do I find, how do I utilize pain, uh, in a way that doesn't make my kid or my students feel like I don't love them or support them. Can you kind of dive into that complexity of how do we embrace pain, encourage kids to live in pain, but also feel loved while they're experiencing pain. It's just a, it's kind of a weird thing to be in as a dad right now. Yeah, for sure. Um, so last night, my daughter, she fell and she hit her face. She just slipped. She kept running and we said, hey, baby, bro, you know, don't run in the house. And she's like, okay, she's four, right? And she takes off. And eventually she falls and she hits her face. Luckily, it was just on the couch, right? But it was, it was painful to her. And, and she tried to like suck back the tears. I said, baby, bro, it's okay to cry. It hurts. Right. And what I'm trying to get her to understand her four-year-old self, the same thing I try to get adults to understand, like you have to feel the pain to get past the pain. Right. Mm. And mm. I think we, as a society, we try to like suck it in Even because oftentimes people are telling you, Hey, we, you shouldn't do that. Or like, we know we shouldn't have done that thing or maybe, you know, pursued this opportunity because we knew maybe it's going to cause some pain, but in the pain is where growth happens as a, as a former athlete, I knew like, if I was feeling some pain while I was bench pressing as hard as it was, I knew as like the tears and the things were happening to my muscles that, and now I don't, I don't do that anymore, <laughs> but <laughs> I knew that growth was happening. Right. And so it's this idea of like being okay with feeling the pain. Like I want to, I want to get back to a society where people know that it's okay to feel pain because yep. if you never feel it, you're never going to get past it. And what happens is uh, I truly believe in like the power of stories. My Angelo, my Angelo once said that there's no greater pain than bearing an untold story inside of you. I'll say that again because it's such a powerful quote. There's no greater pain than bearing an untold story inside of you. And so what happens is if we don't know how to feel the pain, I think it connects to stories as well. Like people don't know how to really share their stories. So what you have is if you don't teach our young kids this and our students this, we become a society bunch of adults that don't really know how to share our stories. So we become a society of adults filled with like the pain of untold stories, the pain of all these traumas and these hard days, because no one ever told us, hey, it's okay to feel like what you're feeling, right? Yeah. You have to feel it to get past it. And I wish more people knew that. Um, so Sorry, as you're saying, it just gets me going. This is this is why I say it's so complex, right? So I I set up the stage of uh, we don't want to have anybody experience pain, right? And then the flip side of that is, uh, you know, you get to own your pain, but like, how do you get past it? It's like, well, it's just my pain. I'm dealing with it. Like, how do you encourage them to give them? How do you find the right space or the right timeline to help them get over it so they're not wallowing in self pity? in their pain for too long. So they, they, they lose action. Yeah. And so for me, even that, and so, uh, <laughs> like it's I, hard. Yeah. It's, it, and that is extremely hard, right? Cause everyone's story is different and everyone's time is different. So yes. what worked for me, if, if I say, well, I needed to have this time of like grieving. Right. Um, so I didn't have therapy growing up at all. I went to I went to therapy for the first time three years ago. Why? Because I had time. It was a pandemic. It's like, <laughs> hey, I want to be like that's just who I am. I'm like, I want to grow. I want to be proactive. I've never had therapy. I'm going to sign up for therapy. 
folks like, hey, are you okay? You know, that's the first question. I'm like, yeah, I'm fine. I just never talked to anyone about my stuff, like intentionally. And so that's what I that's what I want to do as I grow and share with folks and talk about these things. I want to make sure I'm taking my own medicine. And so I went through therapy for the first time. And it's been something that I've been doing for the last few years. And I'm so grateful <laughs> that I signed up because now I still have a therapist and I'm in an extremely difficult season. And so now I have, as I talk about having a system, I literally add it to my system. Of, and that's why it's so important. So I'm going to go back to that. I believe everyone needs some type of system, a proactive system, because it's not like you're living in fear, like, oh my goodness, like something bad is going to happen. I need to make sure it's just being proactive and understanding what self-care really means. And so the other day, uh, something I'll share with educators with my therapist shared with me, it was something simple. Uh, my therapist said, avoid avoiding, avoid avoiding. And I think oftentimes uh, we as adults, we don't even give ourselves time to heal or give ourselves time to feel because we avoid it. Like uh, we sometimes we gaslight ourselves. You know, re this really didn't happen. It's really not that bad. I'm like, no, it is bad. You just buried, you know, both your parents, you're teaching, you know, you're having mar marriage, prop like it is, it is as bad as it feels, right? But sometimes we gas ourselves, well, it's not, it's not really that bad. I'll yeah. get through it. And you keep telling yourself that over the year and then eventually at the end of the year, like, why do I feel like this? Because the first thing that you felt in January was really bad and you didn't give yourself time to feel it. So I just think it's important for folks to really feel what they feel and don't, and avoid avoiding. That was so, it was sure, two words. It was powerful. Somebody I live by avoid avoiding. That's what I would share. Yeah. <laughs> it speaks to me too. So I appreciate that. Uh, one last, so we have one question about uh, advice for students. And then we end our interview with everyone with four quick fire questions, rapid fire questions. And so just like I asked you earlier about a system for teachers of when they are kind of in that season, my question for you is, you know, first off, what do you feel? One of the things I've noticed as I travel the country is some areas of the country believe um, schools and teachers should dive into really supporting the whole child. And some areas think that uh, I've heard recently, uh, teachers should not be a therapist. They should just be a teacher and just teach the academics. My question for you is, how do you feel about that question, right? And then what advice do you have for educators to help them serve kids uh, in a more holistic fashion, more effectively? Yeah, so this is something that I've been surveying kids for maybe like the last year and a half. Um, oftentimes what happens is if something like traumatic happens in the community or at a school, we have adults, they, either, they put together some type of peace rally or some type of town hall or maybe a march and there's never any kids. And so what I've been doing, I've been just combining like answers from kids and oftentimes these are our solutions and so for me I, I asked a similar question to some students maybe about a year and a half ago and there was there was one student and it was like i don't need basically in so many words like i don't need my teacher to be my therapist but i said well who's your favorite teachers and why do you connect with them and it happened to be it was at this middle school and it was a science teacher they said because uh going back to what i dedicated my life to stories they said he, he shares his story he teaches a science, but he shares like real life experiences, shares stories. So I think oftentimes what we have, we have educators where it's like, I'm going to be this way, this is how I've always been, this is what I've always done. I'm just going to teach math. And I, what I want educators to know is you don't have to be anything you're not, but you have to be who you truly are. 
because that's what kids need. They need to know you're a real person. You like it's okay to be human and it's okay to share some of your story, interject some of that as you're as you're teaching and as you're educating. Because I've surveyed so many students, and time and time again, the, the educators that they connect the best with and the teachers that they connect the best with are the ones that are open and honest and share bits and pieces of their story. So last question, again, I thought that was going to be the last one, but as you talk, I always get, we, we may not be done with this until two o'clock today, <laughs> being authentic, but you know, you travel around and you talk to students, just like you said, like you're, you're, you're getting consistent feedback. And, uh, yesterday my son had a competition in the morning. He was pumped about it for weeks, woke up early, ready to go. Then my wife asked him, like my wife and I both, she was more of a college athlete. I was a faux college athlete. I was like a water boy for a team, but, uh, she asked him like, you ready, bud? And he's like, he's told me I'm going to go win. I'm going to go win. All of a sudden he's like, yeah, I'll probably lose today. So he already, his first thought of the day, when you're talking about your first thought, he was like, I'm going to be negative. And he lost, like he was, he, he was a self-fulfilling prophecy. Yep. What can we do? And maybe you've already given the answer and we just hit it again, but like, what can we do to help students get that positive attitude, uh, you know, still dealing with pain. So it's not about ignoring pain, but how do we keep their self-image positive about what they're capable of and let them know that the world believe they, they can believe in themselves and people believe in them. Yeah, so I, I went to I sometimes like in my local community, I love to go to schools and I wear these push bands and just pass out push bands to young young students and share, especially if I have relationships with some of them or you know, I know the educators. So I went to a school where I, I typically have a summer program. And so I know about 50 other students that are in my summer program, but I don't know the majority of the students. So I went to this school. I began asking the students, like, who's your favorite teacher? You know, like what classrooms do you like the best? And they kept talking about this one specific classroom. So I said, you know, I want to check out this classroom. And so the educator that was kind of hosting me, I said, hey, I want to go to, you know, I forget the educator's name. She happened to be out that day. So she had a sub and, and students still love the classroom. So I went to the classroom. First thing I see, it was a, it was a quote from me. And there was like a quote from uh, uh, Eric Thomas, who's like Eric Thomas, a hip hop preacher, where he speaks to educators. Uh, and there's just like positive quotes and things around the room, right? Uh, and it just was like, a, I think it was like a math or science class, but these students got to get a little bit of encouragement when they went into the classroom. I thought about myself when I was seven years old. Like, I don't know, like Miss Crawley, she would tell you Miss Coker her name, and she might tell you maybe I wasn't the best educator, but she did her best to uh, help us get that right mindset in the morning. And so immediately, of course, when I walk into the classroom, I'm like, okay, this is why they love, they might not like math, but they love being in this classroom because of the positivity. And just for this hour of time, they get to change their environment because we don't know where these students are going back to. And so what my, my encouragement and, and one thing I try to do, I always try to expose students just to positivity because they get so, they have so much negativity all the time, social media, friends, school, and sometimes at their homes, right? And so when I try to share with educators, like we don't have to go purchase a hundred thousand dollar curriculum. Sometimes it's just us spending a little bit of extra time, what right, learning how to share our story, and then coming in early in the summer and just posting things around the classrooms because sometimes you think, well, this this doesn't matter. But if a student sees you are worthy every single day they walk into your classroom, eventually they're going to start to believe I am worthy. Especially if you start 
reaffirming those messages that you put up on the wall, that stuff works. I believe people ask me all the time, like, what, what do you do? I guess, you know, to close this, you did ask two questions in the beginning. Who are you? What do you do? What I share with folks when I say who I am and then what do I do? I, I share with them that I'm a, I'm a seed planter. And I believe that's who we all are. We plant seeds and we can plant bad seed or good seed. I choose to plant good seed. And I know that if we all can get in alignment as a society, that someone else will water those seeds. And eventually these young students will become the trees, right? That they were created to be. They will grow into what they were created to be. And so that's what I do. I, I like to plant seeds. And sometimes it's just me saying something positive or exposing them to something positive because they're not getting that sometimes in their community or at their home. So that's great, man. So uh, the rapid fire questions are all the same. Tell me, uh, what is a habit or a discipline that you utilize every day to set yourself up to be the best version of yourself? Yeah, I shared a few things. The one, the one thing I love to do, I love to listen to positive messages. Uh, so some type of positive podcast, YouTube. Yep. So, yep. <laughs> I, I love that. When you said that, there's a there's a song that I try to start every day with called Joyful by Dante Bo. And that like just the way it goes, my kids love it. I love it. And it just like regardless of like how life's going to be, I'm going to choose to be joyful that day. And yeah. honestly, like some days it's really hard to want to be joyful just because of where your head's at. Yep. But uh, once you've done it enough days in a row, you're just kind of like there's a little program, you know, whether whatever your podcast is, it just like clicks you on in a way that. Uh, lets you be a little bit more open to loving and being positive, right? Absolutely. Yeah. And the people, and I think it's important too, I know this is rapid fire, but I think it's important to share that with some of your, the people closest to you. Cause even uh, one of my mentors, she called me uh, a couple weeks ago. She said, you sound different. I said, yes, it's a difficult, it's been a difficult few, <laughs> few weeks, but I'm good. You know, I'm getting through it. She yeah. said, I even listened to your podcast. You know, I said, I've been doing my other stuff, but I haven't, she said, be intentional. Listen, because sh I'm sharing that with my accountability, yeah, right? I'm like, you know, I haven't been listening to. She said, she said, you need to start back. I said, okay. <laughs> and this was, you know, so this is even me getting off track, but then someone else identifying in me because I've shared with these folks that are closest to me. So anyway, I think it's important that you are so vulnerable and you share that with folks joyful. So now when you're at a conference speaking or you see someone you like, and you look down, did you listen to joyful today? <laughs> yeah, I love it. Seriously. I know I can tell you when my days are off and I've done it too many days in a row where I've missed it. Uh, inevitably, like when I'm listening to it and life hits you hard that day or something tough at work or family comes up, I feel at peace when I'm listening to it. If I get a few days off and that thing, that tough thing comes up and hits me, I feel discombobulated, all thrown off. I don't know if you feel that way, but uh, yeah, it's incredible, uh, the power of that. Anyways, so uh, this question can be either way. I, I like to read and listen to podcasts, so you can listen to it. You can say however you want, but what's either a book or a podcast, and you could go both if you want, that you've read in your life or recently that you think other people should check out? Yeah, that is a really good question. Um Oprah has a really good, I love like podcasts where it just similar to this, but Oprah has a really good way of asking just really good questions. And so I love listening to her podcast and she has, um, I would encourage folks, especially in education. She has some really good podcasts with Maya Angelou before she passed mm. away. And Maya Angelou obviously talks a lot about words and she was a wordsmith. She was a goat. 
right? And so I think as in education, we use our words and she just, she how she talks about the power of words and how she uses words changed my life. And so those are some really good conversations I would encourage folks to listen to for sure. Um, and there's just, I love, uh, there's a lot of good books. The book that I'm starting right now, um, Designing the Mind. I, I'm really into just like mindset books right yep. now. So like the Angela Duckworths and some of these great researchers who have talked about like perseverance, grit, and just in mindset and how it ties to education has really changed um, my mind about just why, like what I'm doing is so important and why I'm teaching edu educators and young students the power of starting every day with the great thoughts. It's affirming for me that um, these messages are aligned with the years of research that others have yeah. done. So. <laughs> it's crazy, isn't it? Uh, it's, it's really confirming. So uh, uh, another question is, um, I have a friend who's an educator in New York who encouraged me. I was interviewing a guy named Jeffrey Canada. I don't know if you've heard of him before, but he started at Harlem Children's Zone uh, in New York. And he's just one of the guys that I look up to so much. Uh, and uh, my friend Bentley just said, you need to ask him what's on his playlist. And so that's my question for everybody. Now, when you're either driving through your city, when you're working out, taking a walk, whatever it is that you got, think about what, what songs and artists are on your playlist right now. Yeah. So that is, <laughs> that's a good question. I mean, I am in a really weird season where, uh, I've like, I've deleted like my, I disabled my personal social medias. And sometimes I, I disable uh, like when I'm in the car, I might, I just disconnect my music because mm. I realize I listen, I listen to so much and I'm, and what we listen to influences us. So if I get like quiet time, um, and I hate to like, I'm not really answering your question, but when I, I'm very intentional with like the quiet time. And so I haven't, so the best time I listen to music is like, if I love like this gym called Orange Theory. Um, and their playlist. I work out there too. Yeah, do you? Okay, so we we hear the same playlist. So I love like some of the Dr. Dre and the Kanye that they play. They might throw some Taylor Swift. They mix it up <laughs> extremely well. And so that's when I get my music in. But I, I'm in a season of like, if I'm, if I'm I'm either listening to like a book or just learning how to like be in my own in my own mind and being comfortable with that, not always needing something to you know to listen to. So. Yeah. I love that answer. Uh, if you've had just, you're, you're unique in that and someone else said they don't listen to music as much. They listen to like sports talk radio cause they live in Philadelphia. And yeah. so those are the two <laughs> unique answers, but I think your answer is really authentic because so much of us, you said earlier, you're trying to avoid avoiding and it's not like music is avoiding necessarily, but if you're trying to be intentional about working on that, if you're listening to music or something to distract you, you're not sitting there thinking about what you're avoiding and how to attack it. And so Absolutely. I would say that's really authentic and consistent with what you were talking about earlier. Yeah. Um, and we should talk about the Inferno. We should talk about all sorts of other things that came up in uh, Orange Theory Fitness recently that actually kicked my tail. Yeah. Remind me where you live again. I live in St. Louis, Missouri. So it's, uh, yeah, but we're, I like the fact that we're, I think we're all pretty much uh, in sync on uh, the workouts that we're doing, right? Yeah. Yeah. That, that makes it fun. So yep. anyways, uh, last question. Uh, this is an easy question. You're either uh, around thought leaders all the time, exposed to them somehow, whether it's reading podcasts, used to be social media, I guess it's not anymore. Uh, 
What's the best piece of leadership or change advice you've come across recently that you just can't get off your mind? Man, oh my goodness. So like I am from Strength Finders, like my top, one of my top strength is learner. And so when I get around folks, like if we were just hanging out eating lunch, I'll be the person asking, <laughs> you, you all feel like you're on a podcast because yep. I'm trying to soak up, <laughs> you know, so much information. And so I was with a guy and this guy is, uh, so we put on a youth event and and i it was with one one of my friends he's one of my best friends but he's like this social media influencer he has like 10 million followers across platforms <laughs> and so he can say hey this is what i want to do with two days planning and he can get like 500 kids to show up so he wanted to do like this free football thing he's sponsored by like gym shark adidas and, and so he was able to get all this gear and we're at this uh but obviously he needed a school so he calls me like hey you got partnerships all the schools we need a field can you call I'm like, yeah, for sure, let's do it. But then he invites like a lot of his friends because um, kids love nice cars, right? Yeah. So some of the guys local level that have like Ferraris and all these things, but there's this one guy that shows up in a Rolls Royce who's a really just kind guy uh, that I've known and my family have known forever. Um, and one of, and I, I never forget this guy because one of, and I, this is what I brought up to him and, I, and I'll share my advice, what, what he shared with me. My father, I ended up having a great relationship with my father toward the end of his life because it was this moment I came like, I want to forgive you, dad, for not being there. And I really want a great relationship with you one day. I'm going to be a father and I, it's important for me to have a relationship with you. So when he was diagnosed with cancer, one of the last breakfasts that we all went out together, uh, I get up to pay for the food. My brother and I were going to split the bill and they said, hey, that guy that stopped by your table and said hello paid for the breakfast. And it was this was years ago, but it happened to be this guy. But this is my first time like talking to this guy about that moment because he never we always saw each other in passing on social media, but we never had just time to sit. And so yeah. we just sat and watched these kids play football and do drills. And we talked for like an hour and I, I brought that up and he started talking to me about generosity, which is something I believe in as well. And I said, like, what is it like what has helped you get to where you're at today? And he said, generosity, generous with my, my time, my money, my treasures, my, my gifts, right? Being generous with my gifts, always showing up, mentoring folks. He said, and he said, obviously like your, my, he said, my organization is a very public organization. He said, but a lot of what I do, people don't know. So then he just gave, I said, give me some examples. So I'm really like pressing and give me some examples. Like how are you making this practical in your life? So he gave me examples of how he's mentoring, you know, young guys and, mentoring, you know, young, he's an entrepreneur, young entrepreneurs. And then he said something so profound. He said, and when you live a life of generosity, it always comes back. And I said, what do you mean? He said, well, he said, I don't hold on to anything I have. He said, so if I see someone in need, whether that's advice or material things, I'm always going to show up. Now I know the material thing is kind of hard for a lot of folks, but he said, sometimes he, you know, will drive by like a bus stop and see a single mom and a son. He said, pick them up and take them to the dealership and buy them a new car. And I like immediately got chills, right? Because no one knows this about this guy. They might yeah. say, I'm Rolls Royce or whatever. And I'm like, man, who, who does this guy think he is? And he doesn't share that publicly. And hopefully he doesn't watch this, but no one knows his name, right? Because <laughs> so, I'm sharing his story. But as I think about like life and I think about leadership, so much of leadership of what we see is always being in the front and mm -hmm. being the face. But true leadership is from the back. True leadership is doing what others are unwilling to do. True leadership, in my opinion, is living a life of service and, and generosity. 
and it's truly like dedicating your life to helping those in need and doing what needs to be done to get everyone else to the next level. So as you elevate, pull others up. And so for me, that was impactful. But I know it's not practical for most folks to just buy a mom a brand new car. But I think what is practical is to live a life of generosity so that when you get to that point, if you're good with the small, you'll be even better with the big. So that's awesome. I appreciate it. Um, you, you've just been fantastic to talk to. I love your story. I love, most importantly, I just love your authentic spirit. Um, you said something earlier that I didn't spend a lot of time going back to, but you said people are probably surprised when you show up to speak and you're honest about where your headspace is in that season of life. And I actually think that makes me want to follow and listen to you more because you're honest with it. Right. And so, uh, can you tell our audience how to best follow you, get to know you potentially, you know, this is the season they're reaching out and looking for folks to bring you in to talk to their, their staff or their students. Yeah. So I'm in like a sabbatical right now from social media. So I deleted my Twitter and personal, uh, Instagram page, but I will be back at some point in the fall, but I still have my organization, uh, Instagram, and that's just push for dreams where you'll see a lot of events and some inspiration. And I I do have my John push, uh, John push gangs, Facebook, where I'm trying to be more intentional with posting there, as I know, I don't have the other social medias right now. But yeah, that's the best way. Then always uh, my website, www.johnpushgains.com. Well, Dr. Gaines, I'm going to call you doctor because I know you've worked your tail off to get there. You don't require anybody to call you doctor, but uh, I'm going to call you Dr. Gaines because I'm impressed with uh, your ability to persevere and embrace pain. So thanks for being inspiring. Thanks for being authentic. And I wish you nothing but the best. I appreciate you. Thank you. Yeah, have a blessed day. Thank you. Please support us by subscribing to our YouTube channel, uh, podcast on Apple or Spotify, and help us celebrate the beautiful, messy work of shaping human potential.